dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. All too often in my life as a priest, I hear business leaders tell me that they don't know why they pray. It's almost as if, for them, the time spent in prayer might be spent better by doing productive labors. Our inability to honor the Sabbath properly speaks to this. What does the Bible have to say about the prayers of leaders? What you find in the Bible might surprise you. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here with us. I want to take you deeper today into the meaning of prayer. And I find that prayer is one of the things that surprises leaders the most because everybody knows that you need to do it. But when it comes to actually doing it, there's like this kind of like chasm that we have to go across or this invisible bridge that we have to cross And it seems really difficult for us to actually cross it because one thing is to know prayer is important and another thing is to do the prayer that we know is important. And when we go to actually pray, it's almost sometimes like we we lose the ability to do it. Different distractions come up, different anxieties about the things that we ought to be doing comes up. Um, and, you know, and, and then we, we, we deprive ourselves from this essential source of strength that great leaders not only exhibited from time to time, but that they, they, that they did on a consistent basis. And so I want to take us through a journey in the Bible where we get to discover and watch as four great leaders pray and let the Bible teach us a lesson that I think all of us need to know, a lesson that will encourage us. So let's begin our thread today with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So again, I, I think it's, it's really important to begin by having each one of you start to come into contact with why is it that you struggle with prayer. Almost none of you, I can guarantee you already, just watching you, that you are not going to say, I struggle with prayer as an idea. Right? You wouldn't be here today 
if you, you know, listening to a monk talk to you about leadership, <laughs> unless something about the Christian life and Christian prayer actually fascinated you and you, you, you were determined to, you know, to, to move forward with it. Okay. So that's on the one hand, you know, congratulations. You're not as bad as you might think that you are. But on the second side, like, I'd like for you to think to yourself, well, why is it that I struggle so much with prayer? I don't know any accomplished person who hasn't had an interior journey around respecting the Lord's Day or the Sabbath. Anyone. I mean, now, you, hopefully you get to that point and, and you can honor the Sabbath as our Lord commands. But, I mean, at the same time, like, I don't know anybody who now honors the Sabbath who didn't wrestle at one time or the other with the demands of keeping it. And that's just a, a kind of symbol for the same struggles that we can have to actually pray. Even if, I mean, if you find a, a successful person who is praying 15 to 30 minutes a day, well, I mean, you found someone who's, who's had a journey, right? Who's, in, who's inculcated that habit of prayer because they've been able to make it over the obstacles that presented themselves to them. So I want to start by saying, what are the obstacles that present themselves to you in prayer? Uh, I'll give you a few of them, common, common ones, right? A lot of times the biggest thing that we come to with prayer is we don't have time. Right? So it always makes me laugh when I hear that one, right? Because I, I, sometimes I'll say, you know, I went to the Lord. I, I was taken up into the highest heavens. And the Lord said, Father Nathan, you can do one thing. What would you like me to do? And I'll give you anything that you ask. And so I asked the Lord, well, everybody on earth is asking me to grant 25 hours per day. Could you just create one more hour in the day? They all promise, Lord, that if you give them that one more hour, they will use it for you, for your glory, and spend it with you. And then I heard the Lord laugh. <laughs> and he said, no. I said, no, no, Lord, I thought you could do anything. He said, well, I can't do anything. But that's the most ridiculous request, Father Nathan, because the fact is I've given them 24 hours and I've asked them for just one of them. And now they ask me for a 25th. Tell them to go back and just spend one of the 24 that I give them every single day. And it makes you realize, you know, of course, that's a total fictitious case. I'm looking at you over there. You think I'm, I'm, I'm not telling the truth, okay? <laughs> that was not a true story. But the fact of it is in fact true. And that is that we will not be given more time in the day. When you work with young people, you get to like youth groups, you know, I'll go to the board and I'll draw a big pizza pie up on top of the, the chalkboard. And then if you make a big circle and you can do this now, take your piece of paper out there, draw a circle and now draw 24 slices in that pie. Those are pretty small slices. And then if you were to color in, I don't know, say you actually you know, slept eight hours a day, and then you actually worked, say, 10 hours a day, I mean, my goodness, you still have six pizza slices left over. I mean, they keep on going, right? And then you get the idea pretty quickly. One hour is actually not that long. And how much shorter is 10 minutes in that one hour? So you get the point. And the idea here is that it's not a question of not having time. All of us have time, okay? And there's a deeper question. And that's what do I do when I'm actually praying? How do I connect with my heart and my mind to God? Many people try to do this. And when you try, you don't feel anything. 
or you get distracted so quickly that you just give up. It's just so much easier to go and check your emails and put on classical music and, and do something that you feel is productive rather than to sit in what you feel is not productive. No one is here because they like to fail. And if your experience in prayer feels like a failure, it's only natural you're going to turn away from it. And I think that that's the, the deeper reason for the prayer. It's not so much that we don't have time. When you make time for things that you enjoy, and you make time for things that you find to have value, and so the real question is, how do I enjoy and how do I see the value behind prayer? And for that, I want us to take a look at St. Paul. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Okay, everybody, so go ahead and open your Bibles. I want you to take a look with me at the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16. Okay, so this is a real beautiful moment of prayer. And it's St. Paul who's active in Philippi. He's there with Titus, and they go preaching in Philippi, and they make a few converts. Uh, they're doing really well. And the, the fame of Paul starts to spread. And then one day... This is uh, Acts 16, verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. Now notice, that where did they drag Paul and Silas? Into the marketplace. Okay, the place of business. So now you've got St. Paul and St. Silas who have been preaching the Gospels, look what they just did. They set free a slave girl from an evil spirit. That means that this poor girl, she was enslaved at three different levels. She was enslaved by her social status. She was enslaved by her owners. Notice it's plural owners. And then she was enslaved by the devil himself. This poor girl was absolutely just a wreck. And so St. Paul turns and sets her free immediately from a demon. And you would think that their, her owners would say, oh, glory to God, our dear little one now, you know, is, is getting better. But instead, they were furious because that means that they've lost their money-making ability. This girl was telling fortunes and telling them, right, she had an amazing, like, gift, quote-unquote. It wasn't exactly a gift because it came from the evil one. But you see what I mean. And so now they're going to lose their money. And so they drag St. Paul and St. Titus directly into the marketplace before the authority where they're going to be judged not on their ability to defend the human rights of a poor slave girl, but on their ability to dismantle an economic power. And let's see what happens. Verse 20. 
When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. That's a great accusation. You know that accusation is going to follow St. Paul throughout his life, that he's disturbing the city. They say he's causing riots, you know, etc. And what they mean behind that the whole time is they're going, he's ticking, ticking off Rome. And when you tick off Rome, your economy suffers. This, this man, in other words, is disrupting our economy. He's disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. Notice Paul's never even given a chance to defend himself. And he's beaten with rods, stripped and beaten in the marketplace. Beaten with rods. I can only imagine what that, the bruises, the lacerations that that would cause. Did he have any broken bones, a broken rib? How did he protect himself? Is he being beaten in the middle, middle of the whole crowd with rods? After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Just, I mean, it's terrible. He's laying there because his feet are in the stocks. He's laying on the ground. The ground probably smelled terribly. In the innermost cell, the dark would have been absolute. His bones perhaps broken, lacerations on his body, laying on, on the rock in the innermost cell of a prison, having just had his whole life flash before his eyes. And now watch this next verse, verse 20, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. It's the most amazing scene. You want to say, why am I supposed to pray, Father Nathan? What do I get out of prayer? What does prayer give to me? I don't see the value of it. I tell you, when I see Paul and Silas locked in such a desperate place, singing at midnight psalms of praise to God, I see two men who have a heart that I wish I could have inside of me. Because when the bad times hit with me, you know, and when the bad times hit with you, wouldn't it be amazing to respond in such a positive fashion? It's almost like who's really in prison here? It's not Paul and Silas. It's the guard. It's the fellow, it's the, it's the citizens of Philippi. It's the men who imprisoned the slave girl because when their life was turned upside down, when Paul set her free, they responded by beating the man who's, who turned their life upside down to defend their ability to dominate somebody and use them for economic forces. These men were not free. These men only found dignity, their dignity in what they owned. And when, Rome, when these people would disturb the city and Rome could be ticked off against Philippi, they threw them under the bus, never gave them a chance to defend themselves, never heard what they had to say, and instead on the basis of them being foreigners, you know, turn them down. Now, when something like that happens in my life, what do I do? Do I let God do what he needs to do in my life to save my soul? 
Do I allow myself that inner freedom in the midst of my business to say, even if I fail, I don't fail for the trying. And my, my, my adversity is actually an opportunity for me to let God take the lead in my business. So yeah, I'm going to, of course, defend what I need to defend. I'm not talking about a lack of defense, but I'm also talking about a lack of freedom because here, those men are engaged in evil and they refuse to bend and allow a light from God to shape their actions. How many of us in the same way, we, we're involved in evil, we do evil things, but we just don't want to acknowledge it. And if anyone brings it up to us, we'll confront them to their face and deny it and then try to remove the obstacle rather than convert our hearts. And St. Paul sits in front of us as an example of the one who's really free. He's in the innermost cell of a prison with his feet in the stocks, right? And St. Paul is singing hymns of praise to God. I tell you, wouldn't it be amazing at the worst moments of your life? What does Paul show us? He shows us that adversity is overcome by prayer. The songs of praise that come from Paul come from a heart that is free, and they express that heart, and they keep that heart free. This is something that's enviable for all of us. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. Well, let's take another look at uh, the prayer in the Bible. Let's take a look at Solomon. King Solomon, and this is, of course, in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon makes a prayer for wisdom. This is a very famous uh, seen in the Bible. Let's start with verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and made him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made me your servant, king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. What an amazing request. It says in verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Right? It's, this is such a, a heartfelt prayer here. And when you break it down, you see a few things. Number one, Solomon begins by saying in his prayer, he, he shows us, I think, a way to pray. Right? So many people seek this. Like, what's a method for, for prayer? And so we go in and we know we're supposed to ask for things because our Lord told us, and he gave us the example, give us this day our daily bread, right? So we ask for things. And we sit there and we ask, God, please help me that this, find investors. You know, if I can only find investors. Please, God, help me to find customers. If I could only find customers, right? And we just ask him, please, God, help us. Well, look at how Solomon does it. Solomon roots his petition. God says, ask anything you want. I'll give it to you. 
And so Solomon begins by acknowledging God's holiness, right? You have shown. Notice he begins his petition by speaking to God. You have shown. He doesn't say, I need this. He says, speaks, you have done this in the past. You have shown faithfulness. You have shown steadfast love to, my, to David, my father. He roots his petition not in his need, but in the strength of the God that he is addressing. This is a whole, it's the power of a contemplative gaze in your prayer. We, we make such a big deal about ourselves and we forget that the one that we are addressing has loved us in miraculous and stupendous ways and he's not about to stop. He says, and you have kept for him, you know, he says, now, Lord God, I am humble. Look at what he says. I am but a little child. I do not know how to come in and go out. He humbles himself. He says, God, you are awesome. Then he says, I am humble. I am in need. Right? And then he makes his petition. And notice his petition. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. Right? If you go back in Hebrew, it's actually a listening heart. If you give your, an understanding mind to govern your people, he makes this prayer for, for himself as a servant. So the majesty of God is acknowledged. The beauty of God is acknowledged. The, the love of God is acknowledged. Then his own humility. And then thirdly, he moves to then say, I need this in order to serve you. I mean, what, the reason why this prayer is so great and what it shows us is that the heart of a leader remains confident in God's love for him or for her. Okay? It's not a question of, if I don't get this, I'm a failure. That's not the right way to pray. It's much more a question of saying, God, I am here to serve. If you wish me to have this, then grant it, and I will serve you with it. It's a whole different sense here of freedom. And then I want you to quickly take a, a look with me at David, another great king in his prayer. And this is a very different circumstance. Whereas with Solomon, there's like the Lord loves Solomon, God loves, and he's so happy Solomon's doing a great job. So Solomon makes this prayer. There's also times where in our lives of leaders, we fail. It's like one of the, one of the worst things that we can do is think that failure is final. And I say that because when I look at the Bible, I see kings failing all the time. Moses, for his immense faith in God, failed when he was put to the test and struck the rock twice. And because of that, did not even make it into the promised land. Abraham, when asked about his, his wife, claimed that she was his sister and let his wife be taken by another in order to save his life. Well, now you can look at that for many different ways, but I look at that as, as a flaw. Simon Peter, famously, of course, the first pope, he ends up failing by denying the Lord three times. But one of the most epic failures in the Bible is that of King David. It's actually kind of like the pattern of failure in the Bible. It's, it's, it's like the archetype of what sin is, and David falls for it. Remember the scene... Bathsheba is taking a bath. David is out on the top of his roof. He spies Bathsheba taking a bath. He ends up lusting for her, taking Bathsheba to himself. Bathsheba gets pregnant. Even though she's married to someone else, she gets pregnant. David decides to cover up the sin. 
that, uh, that he has by having her husband killed in battle. So you have just like the perfect story of a terrible sin. And it's Nathan the prophet, great and glorious be Nathan the prophet, who, who arrives on the scene and confronts King David. And he confronts him with that famous line saying, you are the man, right? You are the man in a story that he tells all about a terrible guy who, who, who does a terrible deed. And King David says, that guy needs to be punished. And Nathan says, you are the man. And what emerges from that is one of the most beautiful and heartfelt prayers to ever be written. It's Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He keeps on going. It's this immensely beautiful psalm. And it's the psalm from a man who's broken inside and who recognizes his brokenness. And this, it resonates with each one of us because life has a way of throwing us down into the dust. And when we're there, we usually acknowledge that we're there at least mostly because of our own fault. And we think to ourselves, there is no hope. There is no light at the end of this tunnel. I cannot be repaired for the brokenness inside of me. And then you need to hear Psalm 51 and King David as he speaks words of confidence in God's mercy. And he calls upon that confidence. And he makes that confidence the basis of his new life. And it can be the same for you. Prayer restores us because prayer restores our hearts. Prayer is the strength of the broken because God is not done with you yet. And he, in fact, wants to show mercy. And David, by praying, touches upon that mercy and upon that truth. And it becomes for him the source of new life. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.